0: Welcome to podcast number 28 of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is December 3rd, 2018, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest this week is Catherine M. Mayer. She received a master's in forensic psychology while interning with the capital Defender of Northern Virginia. She worked as a mitigation specialist with the Public Defender's Office in Miami-Dade's capital Litigation Unit. In 2012, Catherine established Mayer Consulting, which focused primarily on death penalty mitigation. Her findings would help judges and juries determine whether or not to hand out a death sentence. This type of work is not for the faint of heart. Over the years, Catherine recognized the need for her to provide a full spectrum of investigation services, from fact investigation through sentencing. Catherine's vision was to offer attorneys the benefit of being able to rely on one firm for all their criminal defense needs. Catherine is licensed in private investigation and in 2017 became the first woman in Texas to obtain a board certification in criminal defense investigation. I welcome Catherine M. Mayer to our show. Mm -hmm. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We will explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigators investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're quite welcome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. So uh, how's it down there today?
1: Oh, it's actually pretty gorgeous, a little cold for my liking, but finally a sunny day after four straight rainy days.
0: Oh, you mean you have to wear a sweater?
1: Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) Oh,
0: so I'm so sad to hear that because yesterday a a storm front came up the the coast, came through New York and dumped seven inches of snow on uh, southwestern Connecticut. So yes, I So you don't
1: feel so bad for me then?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. So, uh, today, I don't
1: blame you. Sorry to hear that.
0: Yes, I know. I, I had to uh, shovel around the, the pumpkin on my front uh, steps. <laughs> you know? So anyway, oh, wow. and uh, of course, uh, uh, eventually it will melt and the leaves that I've yet to rake up are still waiting for me out there. So, but right. anyway, the, uh, that's what you get when you live in uh, the great Northeast or you live up in New England. So. Anyhow, uh, so of course, uh, I was very interested in interviewing you and, and my guests will uh, know why, because of the uh, intro that I had done and, and the, uh, the previous week's episode, I also um, said that you would be coming on and, and what it would be about. But so when people a- do ask you what you do, what do you tell them?
1: Well, it's a very uh, long-winded explanation, but I am a death penalty mitigation specialist and licensed private investigator. That is quite a mouthful, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) That is the job title.
0: (laughs) Okay, so um, death penalty mitigation uh, specialist. Uh, All those words have, you know, a lot of... um, um triggers to them. So let's yeah. let's just take it, let's just go through it and uh, tell me about uh, what it what it is that you do.
1: Sure. Uh well, uh essentially I am appointed to a defense team. Hopefully at the beginning of what will be a uh, death penalty or capital murder or charge for a client. So the attorney puts appoints me early on and it is my job to basically get to know the client better than anyone knows him from the day he's born until tomorrow. I collect every record that has ever been created on the individual I speak with as many people as he's ever come in contact with in his entire lifetime and then I essentially write the story of his life that gets presented to a jury or used in, uh, you know, a plea bargain early before going to trial uh, in hopes of getting a life sentence over a death sentence.
0: Okay. Now, um, is it also, and help me understand this, that there could be also two phases of the use of your information. The first phase would be, uh, as, a, as you said, negotiation uh, between defense counsel and, and the uh, prosecutors. But then also, possibly after, uh, if there was a finding of guilt, then there would be a uh, time for uh, your your reports to come forward uh, before sentencing. Do I understand that right?
1: Yeah, let me let me uh, extrapolate a little more there. Okay. So there are two ways in which you can use my information, um, and they're strategic moves essentially. The first way, now in a death penalty trial. Um, there are, there's the guilt, innocence phase, and then the sentencing phase and, and the sentencing phase can be, you know, just as long, uh, as the guilt, innocence phase. And the reason is because of the amount of information that's put on, because obviously death is different. So they need to understand how an individual got to the point that he or she did in this moment to commit this crime, um, assuming that they've already convicted him, obviously. So they believe he's done it. Um prior to trial, we can sometimes depending on you know, where the case is, um you know, what the severity of the crime is, what mitigation emerges throughout the investigation, we might choose as a team, as a defense team, to use the information to get a lesser sentence or a plea or a term of years. Okay. So that will be presented with records, or if there's a ton of mitigation, like, you know, some sort of severe mental health illness or, or um, you know, diminished capacity, then we might choose choose to present that to the prosecutor that may then take that into consideration and reconsider.
0: Well, okay. So you, you gave me a little taste of what uh, some of the things that all, uh, that you find in mitigation are. Will you talk about this in a little bit more detail during your stories or should we, uh, you know, talk about that? Should I ask that question now and you answer it now?
1: Um, we can we can get into that a little later if you'd like. Okay, it, It'll be coming out along the way, I think.
0: Okay. Yeah. So we'll save um, what is, um, what is mitigating factors what how do they look and how do how are they accepted by the courts and how how are they used both during uh the trial as well as during the sentencing phase so we'll save that for the stories or as, as it as you see fit but uh, so um how did you get started in this a long time
1: ago Well, interestingly enough, uh, when I was an undergrad, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I was in pre-law classes, but I then realized I didn't want to do that. But I knew that I want, and I had a minor in psychology. So I knew I was always kind of interested in the law and psychology. And back when I was going to school, I don't really think forensic psychology was that well known yet. And when I decided that I needed a new career change and had no idea what to do, I basically Googled what law and psychology jobs were available, and I came up with forensic psychology. So I went to grad school in D.C. I thought I wanted to be in the FBI, so that was why I chose the school up there and i was simultaneously conducting my graduate internship with the capital defender of north of excuse me the capital defender in northern virginia so i kind of had a foot in both sides of the law and guess i just realized that uh, i belonged on on this side on the defense so okay.
0: So what did your work entail at the uh, Capitol Defender's office in Virginia?
1: It was a mitigation um, internship. So I worked under the mitigation specialists that were in-house there under the Capitol Defender, who was Joseph Flood at the time. Uh, and he and these mitigation specialists, who are amazing people still, are um, are basically taught me everything I needed to know about mitigation. Um, so I just kind of... Decided to look for an in-house job from there. And eventually I got one at the Capitol Defender in Miami, Dade.
0: Okay. So um, there was an inter- in- interesting intersection that I had uh, five, no, maybe seven years ago, seven years ago. I, at the time, I was doing uh, missing air research. And you say, what does that have to do with death penalty mitigation? And uh, but I was learning the skill set of uh, forensic genealogy and doing genealogy backgrounds on in- in going backwards into people's histories. And there were people there visiting... The conference uh, to learn more about genealogy and forensic genealogy as it related to death penalty mitigation, because they wanted to see what um, what their families like life was like going back generations. And in some cases, they were showing that uh, there were uh, people that uh, the, the, the prior family, the great grandparents, the great great grandparents of some of these people, up until the time of their up until the time of their client, were uh, persons that had been um, either having mental health issues, abuse issues, things that uh, were uh, clear from the, the newspaper archives. That family it just passed on from generation to generation, and there might have been a genetic component to it as well. So is that anything that has ever crossed your desk about uh, forensic genealogy? Is that something that you ever looked at?
1: Absolutely. We do um, a ton of family tree building and that kind of thing. And really, um, what we're taught as mitigation specialists is obviously the whole no stone unturned uh, but we collect records for three generations back. Wow! So when we're when we're speaking with uh, potential sentencing witnesses and family members, we're you know having releases signed and that kind of thing, so that we can get exactly what you're talking about and understanding exactly the genealogy.
0: Yeah, it it seems to me that at the time I, I heard that five, seven years ago, and I said, oh, that's interesting. But I really didn't appreciate it until they started to tell me about what they were uncovering and I guess that's what, you know, you were, you're saying to me now is that they uncovered this pattern of um, behavior within the family going back three generations that by the time um, the defendant uh, came along, for lack of a better word, um, I hate to say it, uh, but uh, the the deck was sort of stacked against him within his own family. Is that a fair way of saying it without getting into a lot? It of, is. Of lot it's of,
1: true. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Not only the behavior, but neurological, neuropsychological, all All of that kind of stuff that also adds diminished capacity, Um, genetics in general, you know, that all factors in. And then it does help with our case for mitigation and, you know, a life sentence for sure.
0: Okay, so um, you were doing this type of work after you left uh, the uh, down. You were down in Miami-Dade. Take uh, start walking me forward.
1: Okay. So I moved from DC to Miami Dade. I worked with the public defender down there for about a year and a half. And then I took my practice private or I went, excuse me, I went into private practice and, um, learned from some amazing attorneys down there and mitigation specialists, uh, who got me started with a few cases and then I moved to Texas because you know I mean Texas needed me
0: yeah
1: <laughs> big death penalty state yes so a,
0: a big state and a big death penalty state I mean correct you know, and and not to not to short the Commonwealth of Virginia at all but they do a pretty good job of uh, of keeping um, the ah uh, uh, what the, what's the word I'm looking for uh keeping the um uh, the uh, keeping that <laughs> yeah you know, keeping the i know I'm stumbling over my words, but uh it's not a gas chamber anymore, but you know keeping their uh their the
1: death sentence is lower.
0: Yeah, no, no, they're still there. I mean, they're still busy with killing people.
1: That's uh, true.
0: Yeah, so it's not like it's, it's, it's not.
1: Well, they don't execute people as often as Texas.
0: <laughs> okay, so Texas is the, the grand winner in this in, in the oh, country? Oh, yeah, okay.
1: been leading for years.
0: Okay, well, I, I, I'm glad that you helped me with that. I, I, I didn't mean to stumble <laughs> over my words. I'm trying to be polite, and I'm also trying to. It happens. To be, well, I'm trying to be under, understanding that, you know, this, is, this could be an inflammatory topic if I, don't, if I misspeak. So I, I would rather stumble over my words. I'm than, with
1: you. I uh, have experience with that as well.
0: <laughs> okay. So uh, now you're in Texas and uh, I guess what, uh, state capital, Austin? Yes. Okay. Love it. Well, tell me more about your practice there and tell me what's
1: going on. Well, so I um, actually, uh, as I said, Texas needed me. So I've been there for now five years um, working mitigation and a couple of years in I suppose I was getting a lot of work in in for death cases. Um but with what got me into investigation anyway because now I my company has basically grown to include uh fact investigation as well as sentencing. Okay. And and the reason being is because I you know I work with investigators all the time on these death penalty cases and Um, I guess it just occurred to me that it would be beneficial if, we had more of a holistic approach to the defense team. And I decided that I wanted to learn how to be the best investigator and learn from the best. So obviously I have read Brandon Perrin's book and we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the investigators, I just wanted to bolster communication among the team. I mean, my job as a mitigation specialist is difficult when I don't have all of the pieces and again, these cases are different. They're longer, they take longer to work there. You cannot cut corners on them. You know, you're dealing with someone's life. Sure. And so, you know, if people are on different pages and working from different offices or different parts of the state or even country, sometimes it becomes, and we we all have a bunch of work to do. It becomes difficult to, you know, keep things, fluid and and on the same page and I felt that attorneys would appreciate that we could communicate what the defense would be with one another and what we uncover in the fact aspect of things and the guilt innocence. So we could carry them through, through sentencing because they have to make sense. You know, you can't have an innocence claim and then be convicted uh, or have a client convicted and then go and say, well, this is why he did it. (laughs) We have to, it has to be, you know, it has to be, it has to make sense. Sure. Uh, so I, I became, I, I was licensed in Florida, but I didn't use it like I do now in Texas uh, as an investigator. Okay. So I, I got my Texas investigator license as well. And then just, you know, read all the books and went to all the trainings for a matter of years. and And really... What's interesting, too, is that I I already knew how to do everything because I do that with death penalty. I I kind of see it as an umbrella. If you can do death penalty work, you can you can essentially handle sentencing, you know, advocacy in any other case. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what goes into a good investigation because you're an investigator, but for from a different perspective or different angle.
0: Yeah, so, so uh, you know, and you, you bring up a lot of good points, and and the interesting one is that you came to this uh, from a death mitigation specialist standpoint, and then many of those transferable skill sets did fit well with investigation, but you still needed to learn investigation. You still needed to learn other aspects of the job in order to be a, a fact investigator. Am I am I correct in saying that?
1: Absolutely. And when I first started, it was interesting because you know what what my job in mitigation entails is very gray area it's psychological there's no black and white essentially and what i found to be the most interesting and the most challenging was that when i would switch to investigation i'd have to kind of flip that switch in my brain to say okay now you're dealing with facts and now you you know you ne- it definitely took time and practice in being able to flip from the you know especially even in memo writing or in uh getting those facts and learning how to take a statement versus writing a, in a storytelling format so sure. it, they're they're very different and i find them both very fascinating and i love both aspects but it was It was quite challenging at first to kind of figure out, Okay, wait, now I'm doing this, so I have to flip that switch.
0: (laughs) No, uh, I'm fortunate that I live in a state where um, there is no uh, death penalty on the state level. However, there is still a death penalty federally, of course, and that's for all states. But, uh, and I was asked to be involved in a uh, a, a death penalty mitigation phase up here in Connecticut on a federal case. And I didn't beg off, but I said I would take direction from a death penalty mitigation specialist. I mean, I I didn't want to say that I'd be a gopher or a lead runner, but I certainly wanted to have that person telling me, this is what you need to get it. And this is why you need to get it. And then, uh, then I'd understand it. But first time out of the gate, I certainly didn't want to be holding myself out as being somebody that could do this type of work and say I could do it without having never done it before or not really knowing what the animal was. I mean, is that I think that's fair to say.
1: I absolutely appreciate that you said that, because I think what a lot of people don't realize is how much actual and you don't know what you don't know. So it's one of those things where, oh, gosh, I mean, and you know, it does take a little bit of I believe it takes mental health training to be able to recognize a lot of the things that we're looking for that, uh, would be helpful in mitigation and what themes are emerging. Um, it's definitely difficult, uh, and I don't. I, and I, I do really appreciate that you, you know, you say that, and and that you didn't just take it thinking, oh, I'll figure it out, kind of thing, you know.
0: No, there are some things you can figure out, but when it comes to whether or not a person uh, goes to the uh, death chamber, for lack of a better word, uh, that or not, I, I don't think that's a place where I should be uh, trying to cut my teeth on on a new skill set. I, I think that. <laughs> no, I think it's better to just. Uh, let the experts do that or, or guide me, you know, right. you know I, I never- I'm sure
1: you'd make a great mitigation specialist John. uh, but certainly, yeah, the guidance thing I, I think is, is a great, uh, uh, you know, sure.
0: you have idea. To, you have to have that in order to know and to see the bigger picture. I, you're right. I didn't know what I didn't know. And by having a, 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 death penalty mitigation specialist guiding me, I, they could explain why I needed to get it. And I never argued. I just didn't understand all the time. But in the bigger picture, I could begin to see it. Uh, but I would, sure. ne- I never would have uh, purported myself out to be a, a death penalty specialist. So, but here's something that you touched on a little earlier. And I want to go back over it again is that, um, you were seeing competent investigations, but, uh, you, you also felt there was something lacking, I guess, in the fact that there was, uh, um, there was a need to communicate and sometimes the ball got dropped in the communication, but you also saw that there was something lacking sometimes in the, in the investigations. What, what do you feel was the difference between what you saw to be a competent investigation and one that really sparked?
1: Well, I think for me, I wanted to really see that no stone unturned kind of mentality in both phases, and and uh, I'm not sure that I always did, and maybe that's just because I have a controlling personality and wanted to do it all. Who knows? <laughs> but... <laughs> But um you know I hear the natural curiosity thing all the time I think really uh you know other other personality traits that really go a long way in investigation are really strong orga- organizational writing and communication skills uh it, a sense of confidence I believe I mean I have walked through Liberty City in Miami by myself as you know a tiny woman in my Toyota Camry knocking on doors you mm-hmm. know it's clear I'm sticking out like a sore thumb but i think confidence and the ability to speak with people really goes a long way yeah.
0: um they, they go hand in hand so absolutely good written skills good organization skills uh, establishing Critical reports thinking, yeah.
1: problem solving really thinking outside of the box putting yourself in the situations and the and the you know uh your, ability, I mean, the organizational thing I think is really is really big too, and research skills. Uh, I think, yeah, that,
0: that, I think that is uh, almost I would almost have to say those are prerequisites. Agreed. But, but I think you touched on it too—that uh, thinking outside of the box, uh, not just checking the the, the box. Not just uh, you know putting in the time, uh, going out there nights, weekends, going back to that source you know once, twice, three times, yeah, four, mm-hmm. four if necessary. Um, not accepting no for an answer um, you know unless you're you have to really understand that it's no. But right. you know what I'm saying, you can you can you know there's time you can get try to get another bite of the apple if you can, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's the thing about the no stone unturned that I appreciate in what you're saying because. I think it's bandied around a lot in investigations, and when you really are talking about um, that. It goes to a whole new level, uh, especially in a death penalty case. I I can't even begin to understand all the additional steps that go on in a death penalty case that would, um, that quite frankly, don't always appear in a fact investigation in other cases. I mean, because there's just so much more at stake that uh, you just have to keep peeling back that onion further and further and further. Right. Definitely. So uh, you gave me the traits of some good investigators. I I didn't mean to uh, cut you off. Were there other traits that you felt that uh, are are important for someone that's doing uh, death death penalty fact investigation and death penalty mitigation, especially?
1: Um, I think, um, obviously, the prerequisites of understanding the criminal justice system and at least for us really understanding as an investigator, at least my approach is that I'm a fact finder. You know, I'm appointed by the defense. Defense, but I am looking for, you know, again, those granules of reasonable doubt, or just providing a fairness to the defendant who's up against the resources of the police department. So really understanding what that means. I think cultural competency is another big one, at least, uh, I mean, in both aspects of fact investigation and mitigation, Um, really understanding the bigger picture of not only just the crime and being able to look past it, but looking at the individual and understanding where they come from. And, you know, when you're conducting an investigation, that that applies as well.
0: Yeah, this is... To me, it, death penalty investigation, whether it be fact investigation and mitigation is, is definitely investigation on steroids. I can't, I can't say it any yeah. other way. But, but what came through was something that you said. And we both touched on this earlier in our um, warm up and you mentioned his name. And I'll mention it again, Brandon Perrin, uh, uncovering reasonable doubt and the component method. Um, here was, uh, here's an investigator that teaches other investigators and he was on my podcast. Uh, and this is about finding the truth and, Mm -hmm. and as much as some of these crimes are heinous, some of them are inflamed in the press. There might be racial overtones, uh, any number of things going on, uh, election years for district attorneys. I mean, I don't want to go down the whole litany. But Mm -hmm. essentially, a lot of situations where, you know, maybe the truth wasn't necessarily served in, in the underlying investigation. And here you're coming in trying to find out what the truth to the situation is. And not only the truth about the facts, the fact basis of the case, but also the truth about your
1: client. Exactly.
0: Right. And that, that takes into account his upbringing, like you said, uh, how his DNA going back three generations, you know, if the deck was stacked against him genetically or emotionally or, uh, environmentally or socially, uh, what was his life like, uh, up until the time that this event took place? Now you're dealing both with um whether or not um it occurred uh beyond a reasonable doubt or and if and then you're also dealing with the person themselves the uh the defendant themselves as to uh what they were like so it's really a, a it's probably the, the the more fullest investigation, the most fullest right. investigation that I can understand being done. And it should be done. It yeah. should. Yeah.
1: Everyone deserves to have someone who's not the police looking at their case. Or how else is this? How can the system be fair?
0: <laughs> True. Absolutely. Right. And we see that very well. Uh, so t- t- today, um, I know you're getting ready for the Thanksgiving holidays, but what are you working on recently? What are the new things that, are, that excite you at your work?
1: Well, uh, I have a one of those MS-13 cases coming out of Ohio, a federal death penalty. Um, so I'll be going to El Salvador to conduct a mitigation investigation with his uh, family and that kind of thing. Can't talk too much about that, but okay. that's, yeah. But that's for that- real. That is for real, that should be interesting um yeah. that so that's exciting to me
0: now, um uh, for those listeners, um uh, you used an abbreviation uh that they may not be familiar with m s thirteen Can you just talk about that a little bit more?
1: Oh, sure. well, um it's been in the media quite a bit in uh, the past couple of years due to the current administration but um, it is one of the actually biggest worldwide uh, gangs coming out of El Salvador. It didn't start in El Salvador, but it is prim- prim- primarily uh, from El Salvador. And uh, the MS stands for Mara Salvatrucha. I can never pronounce that correctly, but uh, it's a gang that's been around for a while and the current administration is doing what they can to kind of, I guess, lock down on the, <laughs> on the members. You know, they've I I don't know how much I should talk about it but That's fine.
0: That's good <laughs> enough. But anyway, uh you, you when anytime if somebody mentions an acronym or a uh an abbreviation, you and I might yeah 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 we're fine with that, but sometimes my listeners aren't aware of it so I have to go back over again. You're right so that's okay mm-hmm. you know that's okay um, uh so that's that's going to be interesting now hopefully you'll be able to visit um el salvador during the wintertime winter time so that it's uh warm but not uh uh yeah, terribly exactly. hot right so that, that would be nice if you need anyone to carry your bags and and learn more about <laughs> death penalty cases i'm sure that i we could maybe convince the, the good people in the state of ohio that you could have somebody do that for I'm just mentioning it, you know, and just, just
1: <laughs> sounds great. You're first on the list.
0: Put it out there for you.
1: So um
0: we've talked a lot today about um death penalty investigation, death penalty mitigation special the specialty of doing that. Uh, I think our listeners have a much better understanding now what you do and how you came from, you know, your school schooling to your internship to uh, working in Miami now over in Austin. So uh, I think it's good. This is a good time to to get into the stories, because I think the stories will really reinforce everything you've already told us. So um, just let's just get started with your story and then tell it to me. And if I have any questions, I'll ask any clarification I need. I will and i won't uh, hijack it it's it's
1: yours okay well um my story uh is basically just one that kind of reiterates how important the no stone unturned method is um There was a case that we had a while back where, you know, really the research and the finding people that are homeless or that kind of thing, I think is one of the, when we're successful in finding them, it's very, it's a highlight. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in this one case, we had a homeless woman who thought she was a witch. She was clearly mentally ill. We could not find her personally, but we hung out where she hung out. We had, we found a couple of friends of hers that were also homeless that told us about a guy that she was dating up in Lockhart. And then we went back to the computer and after a TLO search, which is how we conduct, you know, our background checks, we found an address. We went up to where he lived. No one answered the doors, but we kind of were investigating around just take pictures of cars for later research. And a woman that saw us mentioned, um, we, we saw us came out and we mentioned the man to him. So she got really excited and invited us in. And it turns out that he was her ex-husband whom she hated and told us everything about him. Um, and the key pieces of information that we obtained during the, um, this interview, Uh, was another woman's name, uh, a landmark next to a road, and that he kept horses, uh, or that she kept horses. So we Googled the landmark, we found the name of the road, and on that road, we stopped at every house on it until we finally found the individual that we were looking for, um, which ended up being a key witness in a case.
0: Wow. Now, you you mentioned TLO, another abbreviation, but that's not important. What is important is that it's a database utilized by private investigators, that very, very carefully, data, uh, private investigators are screened by these different database providers and only allowed to use this for very specific purposes. So the end, you entered this information into this database and it popped out with that address, which started your journey with the, I guess what, the ex wife. And then it went on, uh, with the, the clues that she gave you to being able to find the man. Do I understand that right?
1: That is correct.
0: Okay. So yeah. And then, uh, but see, this is another example of, um, no, uh, Uh, no stone unturned. I mean, at some point, a lot of investigators would have, uh, you know, would have stopped. You know, let's let's look at the points where they would have stopped. They would have stopped maybe without even doing the database search because, well, it, it, the person's name isn't there. Then they, they talk to that person. Well, maybe they don't talk to that woman very well. Or they do so and um, they think, oh, it's going to be too difficult to find this other information. I mean, after all, you were talking about a landmark, something to do with horses and a third thing. I forget what the third thing was. But yeah, th- those three things in combination, a lot of people would just say, oh, that's just too difficult. I can't do that. Right. So, but here's, I think it's a great story because you were, and were you able to find the, the homeless woman that was, um, who thought of herself as a witch?
1: Yes, exactly. We did. <laughs> okay.
0: And, and how did her, and how, how did her, how did she add value to your, to your, was it death penalty mitigation?
1: Oh, it wasn't. No, it, this was an investigation case. And it okay. it just provided she was a witness to an assault on the street.
0: Oh, OK, that's fine. I, I, I thought we were in one area, but that's OK. So uh, I'm so sorry. No, that's fine. I mean, this was a good story and it was a good story in the sense that um, you talked about applying the same tenacity you would to a. Uh, death penalty case to a, uh, to an assault. And that's, right. that's amazing. I mean, that's quite, quite frankly, that's even a better story because, <laughs> because, uh, you know, not, not all the marbles are involved. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, it's, uh, we we, we work on criminal def- defense cases and, we don't work a certain speed for certain types of cases and we don't work, you know, we don't work a little bit for little cases and a lot for a lot of big cases. <laughs> right. But, exactly. but what you talked about was applying all the right techniques to uh find this uh, witchy woman and uh <laughs> and be able to get the evidence now, what do you think her uh evidentiary value would be if you had to bring her into court? Do you think she could have uh with withstood um cross examination
1: you know um uh Maybe not. <laughs> okay. There was a little bit of an unpredictability about her. And was she but able to give you? Her a... statement was helpful.
0: All right. And was she able to give you other information that did bolster your case? That that. Yeah. Okay. So that. So it was. Not, not necessarily primary gain but maybe a secondary gain of getting other facts that we were able to bolster it with that's cool
1: right and um, that's the beauty of investigation I feel like because you can get things in a statement and maybe use those uh, to present to the prosecutor in another way for getting you know a, a deal or of some kind
0: sure and
1: so that that was that was helpful in that way
0: you know it's always amazing to me and I, I think that' you're, you're going to agree with me on this is that um, a lot of statements that you read, they look like they were um, taken in a vacuum. And very few times does a, an interviewer other than us ask, well, who else was there? Who else saw this? Who else was, you know, was present when this took place? And, right. and, and, and they weren't in a vacuum. There were other people there. There were bystanders. There were other passersby. There was somebody who came up to them either just before, during or after the event. And none of that's ever mentioned anywhere because it's such, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a very tight you know, statement or interview that it doesn't go into the detail. Here you are doing an interview, taking the time to find this woman and really go about doing it. Then you find her and then she gives you additional information that makes, although she might not withstand, she may not withstand cross-examination. At least the information that she provided to you could be, you know. Correct. Yes, other, exactly. So yeah, that's a great story. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that's a good story. I like it. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's not always um, it's not always sensational. I mean, the work that we do sometimes is uh, a lot of shoe leather. And like I like to say, and, and you're going to agree with me, I hope, is oh um, uh, well, come on, John. I know what the saying is. I just have to think of it for a second. Um, (laughs) microchips. Yeah, microchips and shoe leather. So you used a combination of your databases along with getting out on the street and you were able to, uh, make that, make that, uh, locate that witness and find out what they had. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I really want to thank you very much for this uh, interview today. It was really nice of you to sit with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? And is there a way that people can uh, reach out to you, Catherine, if they want to know more about death penalty mitigation and, uh, fact investigation in the uh, greater Austin area?
1: Absolutely. I'm always happy to help aspiring investigators and mitigation people. We take interns all the time and people normally can find me on my website, which is kmayorconsulting.com. Um, and my email is Catherine at kmayorconsulting.com.
0: That's M is in Mary, A, Y is in Yankee, E as in Edward, R is in Robert, Mayer.
1: Yes, thank you for
0: okay, well. that. Well, it's because, you know, we all say our names and we know it inside and out, but then somebody with a different accent or from a different part of the country might want to spell that a little differently. You're absolutely right. Thanks for
1: doing that.
0: eh, That's okay. (laughs) John Hoda, H-O-D-A, will be more than happy to help you out anytime. (laughs) So, um, hey, uh, that was great. I thank you again. And uh, I, I thank you for helping out the aspiring investigators uh, that listen to our podcast. Um, they're going to learn a lot from this today and I look forward to, uh, hearing more from you in the future.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments at the website, www.johnhoda.com. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our guest next week is Scott Fulmer. Scott is a licensed private investigator in Utah and Colorado. Moreover, he's a prolific author and speaker. He's an Army veteran and served with the 2nd Cavalry Division in the First Gulf War. Afterwards, he attended the University of Texas at San Antonio. He graduated with a degree in criminal justice and security management. While in college, Scott began working for one of the largest private investigation firms in Texas. Later, he was granted a top-secret United States government security clearance. He spent several years conducting sensitive national security investigations for the United States government. Additionally, he's worked as a state investigator for the Missouri Public Defender at the appellate level. After completing a state and federal experience, he and his wife, Valerie, founded Intermountain PI in Utah in 2002. Our circle around the campfire continues to grow by leaps and bounds. I thank you for telling your friends and leaving reviews on your favorite podcast app. FYI, each episode takes around five hours to research, interview, edit, format, and produce, as well as share. Then there are the expenses to air the shows. I love these podcasts, and your ongoing support is appreciated. You can support the show for less than a couple coffees a month at patreon.com forward slash my favorite detective stories. Patreon is spelled P A T R E O N dot com forward slash my favorite detective stories. All one word. And you will receive all the stories and just the stories from my guests. But wait, there is more. Each guest has given me a second story exclusively for Patreon subscribers. Help me bring to you my favorite detective stories.